Good afternoon, and welcome to Calvary's Way, a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. Calvary's Way, recorded live at Calvary Chapel, is a Bible study taught by Pastor Gib Allen. Today, in our continuing study of the book of Acts, we come to chapter 5, verse 13. Once again, as you get your Bibles, the book of Acts, chapter 5, verse 13. Last time, we saw that the early church experienced great power in their lives and lived in unity. We will see the amazing influence of the early church and learn how we influence others today as we resume our study in Acts chapter 5, verse 13. Part of being in the body involves being together in an active role, both in reaching out to others as well as receiving ministry back from others. The Apostle Paul said this, Ephesians 4, verse 15. He says, We will hold to the truth in love, becoming more and more in every way like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. Under his direction, the whole body is fitted together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Now, I believe, because the Bible teaches that it's important for a person to make a commitment to a local church, to say, hey, I want to be an active part of this group. You see, when you come and you never commit to being a part of the church, it's kind of like two people who are living together but are not married. There may be a measure of love there, but there's certainly no commitment. There's only so much of yourself that you dare give to the other person because there's nothing keeping you from just walking out the door at any moment. I believe that it is important that we have a group of believers that we're committed to on the basis kind of similar to a marriage. Now, it's not that you cannot leave at any time if the Lord leads you to do that, but what you are doing, you're just saying to each other, hey, I'm going to be here for you. I'm here for you. I'm in here for the long haul. You see, being committed to a church isn't how much you give to the church. It's about a commitment to the other believers in the church. Well, verse 13, it says, Yet none of the rest dared join them. Well, the rest of who would not join them? Well, no doubt it's talking about the rest of the unbelieving Jews that were in the temple, those that were not followers of Jesus. You see, suddenly it wasn't so cool to be hanging around with those followers of Jesus. In fact, at this point, it was getting a little bit scary. So the people of Jerusalem took the concept of joining the church very, very seriously. After all, if the hypocrites were dropping dead, I mean, who would want to risk that? An Ananias and Sapphira incident would cut down on any kind of a casual commitment. So it says, yet none of the rest dared join them, but the people esteemed them highly. In other words, the common person on the street was quite impressed by the things that God was doing within the church. Verse 14, And believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. So although the church was no longer the in place to hang out for just anyone and everyone, those who had truly been touched by the Lord said, this is where I need to be, the place of power, the place of purity. Even if it's painful, even if it's uncomfortable from time to time, this is where I am to be and this is where I'll stay. You see, the book of Acts This section and the rest of the book of Acts illustrates how intimately purity and power are linked together. You know, many times we sing more love, more power, when in reality, 
Our need is less sin and less carnality. As you know, today there is great concern that in Iraq there is possibly tactical nuclear warheads and nuclear weapons. And the world shudders at this because we do not want to see nuclear power in the hands of instability and insanity. We know instinctively that the results would be devastating. So too, it is a wise and loving Heavenly Father who, knowing the results of the misuse of power, will not give it to those who are not pure. Purity and power in the church are linked together. So it says that believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. And so we see that divine subtraction, that is the subtraction of Ananias and Sapphira, that it brought more growth. If you cut off the stuff that's on the branch that's dead, if you prune it back, it will grow. So that's divine mathematics. God subtracts that he might multiply. And believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they brought the sick out into the streets and laid them on beds and couches, that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. Now in Jerusalem, the temple area covered 26 acres. And on the eastern side of the temple, in the court of Solomon, the apostles gathered with all the rest of the multitude, and they preached the gospel of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the people knew that Peter, the fisherman, would be passing on his way to the temple, and there would be a limited number of people that he could touch physically out of the multitude that thronged the temple area. So finding the way that Peter had of coming to the house of the Lord and noticing how he came into the temple area to the porch of Solomon, then they would bring their sick, they would lay them along the way that at least the shadow of Peter might fall upon them and they would be blessed by just the passing of this great man, Peter. Was Peter's shadow magical? I mean, did it glow? I mean, could you see Peter on a dark afternoon and a dark evening just glowing? And then people say, well, here comes Peter. I can see the light. I mean, what was it about Peter's shadow that healed? Simply that it was a point of contact to release faith. No doubt it was the same thing as the woman that had an issue of blood for 12 years. That's in Matthew chapter 9. Let's turn there for a moment. Save the book of Acts. We're going to come back. This woman had a flow of blood for 12 years, and another gospel says that she spent all of her living, all of her substance on doctors, and no one could heal her. Matthew 9, verse 20. And suddenly a woman who had a flow of blood for 12 years came from behind and touched the hem of his garment. For she said to herself, If only I may touch his garment, I will be made well. But Jesus turned around, and when he saw her, he said, Be of good cheer, daughter. Your faith has made you well. And the woman was made well from that hour. Now, did Jesus have a garment that was magical? I mean, what was magical about his garment? Nothing. But she set it as a point of contact, you see, to express her faith. Look at verse 21 again. For she said to herself, If only I may touch his garment... I shall be made well. And immediately when she touched his garment, she was healed. Now you see something similar in the ministry of Paul the Apostle. Acts 19, verse 11, it says this, 
God gave Paul the power to do unusual miracles so that even when handkerchiefs or cloths that had touched his skin were placed on sick people, they were healed of their diseases and any evil spirits within them came out. You see, it was a point of contact to release their faith. And it's the same thing with Peter's shadow. Well, back to Acts now. Chapter 5 and verse 16. Also a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities of Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. So there were two groups of people that were brought for help. Some of them were sick, physical diseases, and others were tormented with unclean spirits. That is, they were tormented with demons. Now, do people have problems with demons today? It could be. I mean, I think there are times when we look at every possible explanation for a person's behavior except for that. I mean, could it be that many people in mental hospitals and on psychiatrist couches are really troubled with demons? It certainly could be. On the other hand, some have gone overboard in their thinking and every problem is a demonic one. I mean, some churches regularly have what they call deliverance meetings. And if you have a weight problem, then you just get the demon of gluttony cast out of you. And if you have a smoking problem, then you have the smoking demon cast out of you. And if you have a lust problem, then you get the demon of lust cast out. Now, while it's possible that these problems could be aggravated by demons, I mean, I think any time that we open the door for the enemy to come in, he can have a great effect upon our lives. But these things... They don't have anything to do with that. These, these are problems of the flesh. And the answer isn't casting it out, you see. I mean, you're not going to get anywhere trying to cast out the flesh. You're stuck with it. It's yours. And if it's the problem of the flesh, then what you need to do is not cast it out, but it is to crucify it. It means that you have to die a little more to yourself. So it says in verse 16, that a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. It's just a marvelous, wonderful work of the Spirit. Now, I want us to visit verse 15 again, because I think it has something to say beyond the fact that Peter's shadow was a point of contact for the release of faith to be healed. It has to do with unconscious influence. That is the unconscious influence of those who are in love with Jesus Christ. Each of you have a shadow ministry, not just Peter. People were blessed just by the passing by of Peter, and it is the same with each of us. We never know who we influence as we walk down the road of this life. In fact, your influence will outlive you. Did you know that? Your influence will outlive your mortal life on this earth. I read this week about the president of a, a great and vast railroad system in America who had died. And it was announced that his service of a, of a memorial would be at 2 o'clock on a certain afternoon. And at 2 o'clock on the dot on that afternoon, everything stopped on this vast railroad system in honor and in memory of their beloved president. People associated with the railway system brought everything to a halt all across the nation. Everything stopped except for one thing, and that was the influence of the man in the casket. 
His influence continues on, not stopping three minutes or five minutes or a year or a century, but it goes on and on. The same is true with your life and everyone's life. There is a repercussion of a person's influence that never stops, even the most humble life. Scientists tell us that if you were to drop a pebble into the ocean, the molecular disturbance from the dropping of that one pebble will reach out to the farthest shores of the sea. That is true. And if it is true, think how true it is in the life of a man or a woman who lives on this earth. The body dies, of course, turning back to the dust of the ground from where God shaped it and formed it. But the influence of that man or that woman never die. Now, when you look at history, and you think of all the long and extended shadows of men and women who made that history, it is quite amazing. For instance, there would not be volumes enough in the world to describe the influence of Alexander the Great upon the human history, turning the whole world into Hellenistic thinking, into Hellenic architecture, a Hellenic language in which the New Testament is written. Hellenic culture is the very basis of our civilization today. And the extended shadow of Alexander the Great, who was just a young man, conquered the world when he was 32 years old, the extent of his influence is beyond measure. If you were to go to Oxford University in England and count the number of courses that are taught regarding Aristotle's philosophy, you would find that there are 200 courses today. Aristotle, the teacher of Alexander, died 300 years before Jesus Christ. And yet today, the fact that there can be something like 200 courses in a great university teaching Aristotelian philosophy is amazing. It shows the great influence that he had. And then you think of the influence of men like Nietzsche and Bismarck and Hitler. I mean, Germany will never get over it or survive, really, the terror and the horror and the hurt of Nietzsche and Bismarck and Hitler. Life follows a train like that, you see. The influence that never ceases long after we're gone is a part of everyone's life. And there are two basic influences. First, there is the influence of life for evil. In a sense, a man does not die when he dies. The influence of his life leads on forever to that great judgment day of Almighty God. Do you recognize the name Thomas Paine? Atheist, infidel, he wrote the book Age of Reason. He's been dead for over 200 years, but really dead? The influence of that evil thinking man is extended through the decades, even after his body has turned back into the dust. But think of the dividend that evil God-rejecting men will receive at the judgment of God Almighty. We never escape the influence of evil in our lives. Nathan the prophet came to King David, and he busted him. As you know, King David had committed adultery with Bathsheba and had had her husband Uriah murdered. And Nathan, a year later, came to David, and he said, David, you are the man. And then he said to him, the sword will never depart from your house. And for generations after that, the story of the household of David and the kings of Judah is written in human blood. Lives that are and have been influenced by evil men are uncountable. Influence. The Lord said to Manasseh, 
The Lord said, Manasseh, because of your sins, because of your influence, Judah will be destroyed. The people will be carried into captivity and the holy house of God will be burned down with fire because of evil influence. But there is also the influence of the life for good. In Romans 5.10, we have this wonderful foundational truth. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. The life of our Lord poured out into this world lives forever. The Lord is as much alive today as he was when he walked on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. And the influence of the life of Jesus is a thousand times greater now than it was when he opened the eyes of the blind, when he healed the lepers, and when he raised the dead 2,000 years ago on earth. Listen, the greatest truth in human history is Jesus is alive. He is here. He is in our hearts. And the repercussion of the influence of his life is beyond comparison. I mean, the influence of Alexander the Great pales in comparison to Jesus Christ. But the life of every good man or woman who ever lived, the repercussion of the influence of their lives is also forever. I mean, think how it will be when Peter stands at the great judgment day, the Bema seat of Jesus Christ. Think of the influence of his life through the years, down through the centuries, down through the generations. And what an infinite reward will be the Apostle Paul's when God unravels the skein of his influence down through the generations. Now, among Christians, Peter and Paul, of course, are household names. But what about the influence of those disciples of Jesus whose name we never heard and of those whose life we've never heard about? The humblest of saints also has an influence that God blesses through the years. In Arlington Seminary, uh, across from the Potomac, uh, from uh, Washington, D.C., is the tomb of what is called the Unknown Soldier. Written there on that great monument there are these words. Here rests in honored glory an American soldier known but to God. When people stand there and they look at that monument and they read those words, they think about that soldier. An American. He was cut down somewhere on a, on a foreign field of battle, but he lies there. And no one knows who he is. No one knows his name. And down through the years, multitudes of honors and, and, and words of appreciation and gratitude have been bestowed upon that man. But nobody knows his name nor who he is. And in a thousand times and in a thousand ways, our lives are just like that. Influential, but known only to God. It's like the story in the Bible, 2 Kings chapter 5, of the little maid in the, in the household of Naaman, the captain of the host of the king of Syria. It was through the testimony of that little girl in the household of Naaman that that mighty captain of the armies of Syria was cleansed. He was saved. He became the follower of the true God of heaven. Now, what's the name of that little girl? You don't know. Nobody knows, and we will not know till we get to heaven. But think of the influence of the testimony of that little girl in the household of that powerful man. Do you know the name of the little boy who was in a crowd of 5,000 men who as the day passed were very hungry listening to the word of God? The Lord said that they should be fed before they would faint. And the apostles said, feed them, I mean 5,000 men. And the Lord said, yes, 
feed them. And so the apostles went through that great throng of people to try to find food for the multitude, and they found only a little boy's lunch. He had five barley loaves and two little fish. And the boy gave his lunch to the Lord. And when the apostles placed it in the Lord's hand, he blessed it. And then the Lord began to break that bread and that fish, and he passed it out as food to the people, and it multiplied. And the Bible says that they were glutted. They had more food than they knew what to do with. It was a wonderful, wonderful, marvelous miracle of God, which was followed by one of the most magnificent sermons in all of the Bible, the message of the true manna from heaven, Christ, the bread of life. What is the name of that little boy? Nobody knows. And we won't know until we get to heaven. Do you remember Billy Sunday? Billy Sunday was a famous baseball player with the Chicago White Sox. Do you know the name of the woman who in the Pacific Garden Mission in Chicago won him to Jesus? We don't know her name. But think of the enormous influence of that humble woman who won that famous baseball player to the Lord. Billy Sunday won thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people to the Lord in his ministry. Dwight L. Moody became a household name because of the great ministry that he had in winning thousands of people to the Lord. On his tombstone are written these words of truth, He that doeth the will of God shall abide forever. Do you know the name of the humble man who had in his Sunday school class a young teenage boy who he won to the Lord in the stockroom of a downtown Boston shoe store? That was the conversion of Dwight L. Moody. And think of what God did through that Sunday school teacher. And yet, his name is unknown. Have you ever heard of John Wesley and George Whitfield? Do you know the name of the Moravian missionary who won them and led them to Christ? I mean, we have no idea who he was. His name has been lost in the world. But think of what John Wesley and the great Wesleyan revival did in England. And think of George Whitfield, who began in America the great awakening that swept into it the mighty intellectual preaching of Jonathan Edwards. Shadow ministries, you see? Things that humble people do for God that no one ever realizes, never remembers, never knows. But God knows, and he blesses that influence for good through the years. Now that is the reason why when a man dies, he does not receive his reward at that moment. The Bible says that to be absent from the body, physical body, for a believer now, is to be present with the Lord. So when we die, we go immediately to be with the Lord. But we do not receive our reward at that time. My father went home to be with the Lord two years ago this last week. My father had a great influence upon me. He's the one who really led me to the Lord after years and years out in the world. But my father has not received his reward yet because his influence has not finished yet. You see, he does not receive his reward until the end of the world, until the end of time, for a man does not die when he dies. It is only God who can unravel the skein through all of human history. And you know, when men stand at that judgment bar of Jesus Christ, without exception, I believe they are going to be surprised. They are going to say, Lord, when did I ever see you sick and minister to you, or in prison and came to see you, or hungry and fed you, or naked and clothed you? When did I ever do these things? And the Lord will say, when you did it to one of the least of these, you were doing it to me. 
And God writes it down in the book of life. And that is why the reward is never bestowed until the end of the age. The influence just goes on and on and on. And only in heaven will we ever know the extent of that influence and really what it means. This is how it works. A woman whose name has been forgotten gave a tract one day to a very evil man whose name was Richard Baxter and Richard Baxter gave his heart to the Lord. And then Baxter wrote a book. The name of the book was The Call of the Unconverted, which brought a multitude of people to God, among them Philip Doddridge, who in turn wrote a book entitled The Rise and Progress of Religion. This book brought tens of thousands into the kingdom of God, among them a man by the name of William Wilberforce. Wilberforce wrote a book entitled A Practical View of Christianity, which brought a multitude to Jesus Christ, among them being a man by the name of Lay Richmond, who wrote a tract called The Dairyman's Daughter, which has been the means of the conversion of uncounted multitudes. You see, so the influence just goes on and on and on. But look how it began. A woman whose name has been forgotten gave a tract one day to a very evil man, and the influence went on and on and on, and it extends to this very day. Now, when that woman stands at the judgment of Jesus Christ, and the Lord bestows upon her her reward, think of the amazement that will overwhelm this woman as she is crowned in glory. It will just overwhelm her, and she will have such gratitude and praise to God. You see, you do not know what you do when you do something good for Jesus, speaking a word in his name, sowing the seed of the word. Shadow ministries, the unconscious influence of those who love Jesus Christ. Listen, like Peter and Paul, like Alexander the Great, like Naaman's maid and the little boy with the five barley loaves and the two little fish, and just like the woman that witnessed to Billy Sunday, like the Sunday school teacher who led Moody to Christ, like the missionary that witnessed to Wesley and Whitfield, like the woman who gave that tract to Richard Baxter, your extended shadow of influence is also beyond measure. And may it be for each of you when you stand before Christ at that judgment day, the judgment of believers to receive your reward, that you will be overwhelmed with amazement, crowned in glory, in gratitude, and praise to God. We hope you have enjoyed today's edition of Calvary's Way with Gib Allen. Thanks again for listening, and we do hope you will join us again tomorrow as Pastor Gibb teaches and we learn to walk Calvary's way.